0: Glorified. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Often we need a reminder that um, salvation has come to us through the Jews. Much of the New Testament was written in the context of Judaism. All the authors, except for Dr. Luke, were Jews so there's a great advantage of reading the New Testament with a full understanding of the Old Testament. There are many details that Gentiles can miss if they don't understand the Jewish customs and traditions. Now this is not an argument that we should all become Jewish or Messianic Jews and start observing Jewish holidays and feasts because Paul says in Colossians chapter 2 verse 16 and 17, let Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. It was God's plan that he would include the Gentiles in his salvation, and that's exactly what the New Testament is giving us, the Gentiles being brought in to salvation through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And these are, he, Paul says, shadows, those festivals and new moons, these are shadows of things to come, but the substance, he says, belongs to Christ. Meaning all of those things in the Old Testament, the festivals, the new moons, the Sabbaths, they were all shadows pointing to Christ. And so the argument is we now have Christ. We have the real thing. We have the substance. We don't need to chase after the shadows again. And so We, however, if we are unaware or uninformed about those things in the Old Testament, the festivals and the feasts, we can miss important connections in the New Testament, connections that make our understanding of the Scripture and of Christ a lot richer. In fact, if folks uh, many denominations sometimes seem to focus on the new testament alone and they have missed all of the foundational materials and all the materials that can lend itself to a deeper more rich and stronger faith in fact romans 15:4 paul says for who for whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope and he was speaking specifically right there about the Old Testament scriptures. So understanding the Old Testament can be an important source of instruction, of encouragement, and hope to the New Testament believer. Now a great illustration of this is found in our passage here today. And in order to understand the drama in our text, we need to understand the background of shakot, or the feast of booze, or the Feast of Tabernacles. So before we get into our text, we need to have a little bit of background of this particular festival, this particular um, seven-day, actually included an eighth-day celebration. Now we've already talked about the Feast of Booze several weeks ago. When Israel would build booze or huts made from sticks and tree branches and they would make it in such a way that they could still see the stars in the sky and, and the sun. They can still kind of see outside. But that was to symbolize God's covering of Israel with the cloud as they made their way through the desert. As you can imagine, on a very hot summer day, if you're sitting outside, it is very hot. And we are always grateful for the clouds that come to cover over us because it cools things off a little bit. And so Sukkot was a celebration of God's cloud that covered the people of Israel as they were making their way out of the exodus. But also a part of the feast, there there was a seven-day water ceremony. And each day the crowds of thousands of people would gather into the temple court and the priests would go to the pool of Siloam And they would draw water out of the Pool of Siloam and carry that water in a golden pitcher to the temple. And as the priest passed by the water gate, um, the shofar would be blown three times. And once they arrived at the temple, the the, the, the priest would march around the altar and the high priest would lead them And they would sing, the temple choir would sing the Hillel, that is Psalm 113 through Psalm 118. Now when the singing finished, the men in the crowd took up a sheaf in the right hand and a piece of fruit in the left hand, which was symbolic of the bountiful harvest that they just uh, completed. And they cried out together, give thanks to the Lord, give thanks to the Lord, give thanks to the Lord. They would do it three times. And then the priest would hold up the water pot. And evidently from some who were eyewitnesses, the crowd would uh, ask him to hold it up higher and higher so everybody could see the water pot. And then he would pour that water pot out on the altar. Now this would occur for six days. And on the seventh day, this ceremony was repeated seven times. As you can imagine, that was commemorating the seven times that Israel marched around the walls of Jericho. And there were three main ideas here attached to this particular ceremony in the Feast of Booths. The first is commemorating the Exodus. That God provided Israel with water When Moses struck the rock. The second thing is to give thanks to God for the bountiful harvest and to petition God to send abundant rains in the years to come. And third, it looked forward to the coming age of the Messiah recalling the promise of Isaiah chapter 12 verse 3 which says, With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. So there was also added an eighth day to the Feast of Booze, and it was to be a special Sabbath. It was on a Sunday, on the eighth day. And on the eighth day, there was no water ceremony. There was a solemn assembly called, which meant a day of reflection and prayer in the temple. And so there would be thousands of people in the temple praying and reflecting on the week's celebration. Now, as I was studying this passage and looking at the background to the Feast of Booze, I was curious about the Hillel, the Psalm 113 to 118, so I went and read through that to see what they would be singing at the time uh, each day, and apparently seven times on the seventh day, and I'm not going to read all of them, but I think that uh, I want to point out some significant passages that would... Um, that would be interesting in light of the fact that Jesus himself was standing there in the temple with them as they were doing this. Psalm 113 starts out, of course, with praise. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. In Psalm 114, that, recalls, that psalm recalls the exodus out of Egypt. Psalm one fourteen seven 7 through 8 says, Tremble, O earth at the presence of the Lord at the presence of the God of Jacob who turns the rock into a pool of water and the flint into a spring of water now this is again recalling the time when Moses struck the rock and water came out of that rock and by the way we know Paul in 1 Corinthians 10:4 tells us that that rock was Christ the symbolism there is once Christ was struck, out of him would come rivers of living water. That's why Moses was only supposed to strike the the rock once. The next time he was only supposed to speak to the rock, and of course he got angry, and he struck the rock a second time, and that very sin kept him out of the promised land. So the symbolism of Christ being the rock struck for his people and life coming out of him That symbolism was broken down by Moses' disobedience. Now, Jesus was there in the temple, and they were singing about the rock that gave water. Paul says that rock is Christ, and so Jesus was right there in the temple as they were singing about him. Psalm 116, 3 through 4, The snares of death encompass me, the pangs of shoal, Lay hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Verse 8 and 9 says, For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I walk before the Lord in the land of the living. And then in verse 22, 23, it says, The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. We know in the New Testament that uh, prophecy was about the Jews rejecting Christ. He is the cornerstone, and they were rejecting him. And what's interesting is that a good portion of the people here in Israel at the time, in Jerusalem, were rejecting Christ. There were some believers, but they were rejecting Christ. They were singing the very song that was a prophecy about their rejection of Jesus, who was standing there, right there, in their midst. And then in Psalm 18, 25, there's a cry out, Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. And in verse 27, The Lord is God, and He has made His light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. And of course, we know that Jesus in the next chapter is going to say, I am the light of of the world and God they're singing about the light shining upon them and they're calling out for God to save them in these songs. So clearly these uh, psalms, many of these psalms are messianic. They are anticipating the coming of the Messiah and they were singing about the very person that was standing there in their midst and they were calling this Lord, the Lord, to save them over and over again, save us, save us, and so that's the background then of our text, just a couple of verses here, but let's look at that the first part of the first sentence there in verse thirty seven on the last day of the feast, the great day that's it explains to us when that was now Jesus or John tells us, that it occurred on this great day. Now, there is so, some debate among scholars about whether they are talking about the seventh day where they did the ceremony seven times or where they were talking about the eighth day or the last day, the eighth day, when they were engaged in that solemn assembly. Now, as I read through all the literature and it went for pages and pages, Fort pro and con, and I'll spare you all of that, but there's good evidence for either one either side and uh, if it was if the great day was when they were pouring out the water that could have been the very moment that Jesus cried out and, and and stood up and notice what it says here it says Jesus stood up and cried out now that Greek word there is kradzo it doesn't mean he just spoke it doesn't mean he just said something Uh, That word means to scream, to yell at the top of your lungs. And so Jesus stood up and yelled with a loud voice. Now, up to this point, Jesus had played it really cool, hadn't he? He waited for the Lord's timing to go to the feast, so he ended up going just about halfway through the feast, maybe on a Wednesday. And he came into the feast by himself and then he began to teach privately or teach among people in the temple. They began to know that Jesus was there teaching and they sent some people to arrest some some guards, some, the temple police to arrest him and we're going to see next week that they just couldn't do it. Well, the reason f- for that it wasn't God's timing yet. But they could not arrest him yet. Now, This appears then, this moment that we're looking at, appears to be the main reason that Jesus was there, to make himself known to the people. He was seated and he was teaching, but here in this verse it says that he stood up and he yelled, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Remember, there were thousands of people in the temple at this time. And if this were on the seventh day, maybe on the seventh time that the priest was holding up the pitcher of water and they had just got through singing, and then there was a time of silence where the priest was holding up the water, everyone was looking on, and it very well be maybe at that moment Jesus stood up and said, If anyone thirsts, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Now, this also, though, could have happened on the eighth day. All the water ceremonies have have been finished, and they were on the eighth day in that solemn assembly. And everyone was there in prayer and in contemplation, thinking about the meaning of the week's festivities. And it could very well be in a moment of silence or a time of contemplation that Jesus stood up and said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Now, the eighth day would fit better on the next verse, and that is verse 38. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, we're going to explore this a little bit in uh, in a minute about the promise of the coming of the Holy Spirit. And if this promise of the Holy Spirit, uh, in this particular verse, this would fit better on the eighth day because the eighth day becomes very significant in the New Testament. And it will be significant in the next few festivals, as we will see here in a moment. So the coming of the Holy Spirit is tied to the resurrection of Christ. Did you see that part when uh, when uh, Jesus says um, he, uh, he he says, "Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water." And John gives us a little commentary on that and says he's speaking of the Holy Spirit because Jesus. Had not yet ascended. Now, what's interesting is that the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the church would occur on the eighth day. Um, So there's a link to the eighth day in the coming festivals. On this festival, the eighth day of the Feast of Booths, this would be Jesus promising to uh, that the Holy Spirit would would come. Then the next Passover the very Passover where Jesus would be crucified and, um, and then placed in a grave. And then we know that Jesus rose from the dead on the eighth day, on a Sunday. And then on the eighth day of the Feast of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit would fill the church just as Jesus promised. Now, this is why Christians worship on Sunday. The eighth day is the mark of the new creation in Christ. What does Paul say? If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. And so the eighth day marks that new creation, and we worship and celebrate on the eighth day because we celebrate the resurrection of Christ. We celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit on that eighth day of creation. Um, So we live in an age right now where the Spirit has been poured out on the people of God. So the Feast of Booze was looking forward to the coming of the Spirit that was less than a year away. The Pentecost, the, the crucifixion of Christ was about six months away from here, and then Pentecost after that, that where, the, where, the, uh, where the Holy Spirit would fill the church. Now let's take a closer look at Jesus' invitation there in verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Now this was Jesus' invitation to the crowd. and this is pretty amazing that Jesus did this because there were some who believed, but much of the crowd were unbelievers. Many of the Jewish leaders were seeking to kill him. But here he is in the temple standing up yelling at the top of his lungs, he's yelling an invitation for anyone who is thirsty to come to him. After all, again, they have been singing all week about the Messiah. They had been singing all week, Save us, Lord, save us. That ought to be a reminder to us that what we're saying with our lips and our worship should be the desires of our heart, not just something that we mouth, right? When you come to worship the Lord, don't just read words off of page, but take those words and make them your own and worship God with. Because in one sense, they were worshiping God, asking God to save them. In a very another sense, their hearts were hardened, and they didn't want to be saved in God's terms. Now, the invitation is anyone, anyone. Anyone who thirsts? Now think about this if you were Israel out in the desert, and you begin to get very thirsty because it was hot and dry, there was no water around you out in the desert, and you are very thirsty. That can be something very dangerous. Remember, they started complaining. That was one of the reasons why the rock was struck and the water came out. Now, when we're hungry, we can be a little annoyed. We can go for a day or two or more without food. It's a little annoying. We can suppress that feeling. But when you're thirsty, I mean, really, really thirsty, it can be very dangerous if you don't get water. It doesn't take long. For a person to die of thirst, it can take anywhere from one to three days depending on the conditions. If you're out in the desert, (laughs) it could be just a day. So being thirsty is a craving that cannot be ignored. It's a down deep soul craving uh, desire that has to be satisfied or you could die. So Jesus here is, of course, not speaking of physical thirst. He is speaking of spiritual thirst. And the invitation is to those who are spiritually thirsty, those who know that they are sinners, those that know that they have offended a holy God, those that know that they will die apart from God if God does not show them Mercy and grace, a spiritual thirst, and and there's an urgency about this. So Jesus is calling out anyone that is longing for that spiritual drink, a longing to be satisfied spiritually. That is to find salvation for their soul and satisfaction for their deepest longings. Remember Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. This is what he's getting to. This is a spiritual hunger, a spiritual thirst. And those who hunger and thirst if you come to Christ will be you will be satisfied. Um, And it is Christ then Who saves us? He says, come to me, right? If anyone thirsts, let him come to me. It is Christ who satisfies, and it is Christ that we come to to be nourished by the spiritual water. J.C. Ryle wrote, The saints of God in every age have been men and women who drank of this fountain by faith and were relieved. They felt their guilt and emptiness and thirsted for deliverance They heard of a full supply of pardon, mercy, and grace in Christ crucified for all penitent believers. They believed the good news and acted upon it. Now, Richard Phillips reminds us of the scene in The Silver Chair, a children's novel by C.S. Lewis, that illustrates this point well. In this story, Jill sees a lion and runs into the forest, and she is very, very tired and thirsty from all of her running. And she starts to think that she's going to die of thirst. And off in the distance, she hears running water from a brook, and she begins to stagger toward it. But as she draws near, she sees the lying lion crouching before her. And the lion says, If you are thirsty, come and drink. Jill does not move. Are you thirsty? the lion asks. I'm dying of thirst, Jill says. Then drink, says the lion. May I? Could I? Would you mind going away while I do? said Jill. The lion answered this only by a look and a very low growl. And as Jill gazed at his motionless bulk, she realized that she might as well have asked the whole mountain to move aside for her convenience. Will you promise not to Do anything to me if I come, Jill said. I make no promise, said the lion. Jill was so thirsty now that without noticing it, she had come a step nearer. I daren't come and drink, said Jill. Then you will die of thirst, said the lion. Oh, dear, said Jill, come another step nearer, uh, coming another step nearer. I suppose I must go and look for another stream then. There is no other stream said the lion. Jill finally went toward the stream and knelt down and began to uh, scooping up water with her hand. It was the coolest, most refreshing water she had ever tasted. You didn't need to drink much of it for it to quench your thirst at once. Now, Lewis here is clearly playing off of Jesus' invitation here. And he did a masterful job in reminding us that we can only come to salvation and drink this water only on Christ's terms. We must all humble ourselves and yield ourselves to him and take him as both Savior and as Lord. Now notice Jesus' promise in verse 38. Whoever believes in me. Now that's parallel to if you would come to me. So what does coming to Christ mean? It means believing in him. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, what does this mean? Well, John in verse 39 again says, Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So this was a prophecy concerning the coming of the Spirit. And so the rivers of living water that would flow out of his heart is rivers that come from the holy spirit the gospel includes the fact that jesus died on the cross for our sins and rose again on the third day but it also comes with further promises that's not all of it the further promise is that the holy spirit would come and live inside of us would be with us and live inside of us and empower us if you look at the promise of the new covenant in ezekiel chapter 36 verse 25 and 27 god says through ezekiel i will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness thank here of the shed blood of christ that is covering our sins by which we are forgiven and you will be clean from all of your idols i will cleanse you he says and i will give you a new heart that is the new creation right anyone in christ is a new creation you are given a new heart and a new spirit. I will put within you, and that's because our spirit is dead when we are born. We are born dead spiritually in our sin, and so we are given a new spirit. And then he says, "I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh." That means that those who are um, born in sin are haters of God, and they have hardened their heart against God. And so God is promising. A change of heart, a heart that is fleshly, that that is soft and malleable, not a heart that is hardened. And then it says, I will put my spirit within you. That's that's the promise of the new covenant. Not only will I change you and I will give you a new spirit, I will cleanse you, I will save you, but I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. In essence, he will give us the Holy Spirit so that we can obey the law of God. He will empower us to do that. Under our own sinful condition, our hardened heart, our dead spirit, we have no ability to obey the Lord and obey his laws. But he will give us his spirit, transform us and give us his spirit so that we can um, follow the Lord and obey his statutes. John 14, 16 through 17, Jesus says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that is, another one like me, to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So when I send the Spirit, Jesus says, he will not only dwell with you, he will be in you. And he will be a comforter to you. In John 16, 7, it says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, Jesus said. For if, you do not, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And so that's what Jesus is, is saying. Rivers of living water will flow out of you. And he is speaking of the Holy Spirit that will come inside of us. And so if we believe him, he will send his helper to comfort us. Uh, And and so the understanding here is not only will the Holy Spirit come live in us, if we're not not quenching the Holy Spirit, if the Holy Spirit is living within us, not only will the Holy Spirit fill our own hearts up and our own lives up, that filling will flow over the brim and it will cause rivers of water to outflow out of our hearts and our lives. Isaiah 58:11 says, The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorching places and make your bones strong, and you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. You will never go dry. You will never become empty. We will be filled to the brim and overflowing when the Spirit of God comes in us. And so there is an endless supply then with the Holy Spirit, an endless supply to believers peace, he will help us to walk in purity, he will give us the power to obey the commands of, of the Lord, and it will not only give us those abilities, it will not only satisfy us, it will also overflow out of our hearts into the lives of others, meaning that we will become a blessing to those around us. This is what it means to be salt and light to the world, that we become a blessing. Donald Gray Barhouse wrote that when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, people will instinctively come to you for help. Ever had that? People will come to you for help in your school, in your office, in your hospital. You should so live Christ that others will approach you in their times of trouble, and then you can flow Christ to them rivers of living water, if we come to Christ. Not only will we be filled, but it will overflow to the lives and the people around us. And this is the kind of influence that Christians should have in the world. And we need to ask ourselves, is this the kind of influence that I have with people? When people are distraught or in trouble, have problems, do they come to you? Do they come seeking help because they know that there's something about you that is, that is different. There's something in you and, and from you that they know that they can receive the help that they need. Well, the early church was like this. We're, we're told that when plagues came into a city, all the pagans ran for the hills for their lives, and the Christians came in and cared for everybody. We, had even, we have the testimony of one emperor that said that, that when their widows were suffering and, and starving, the Christians would come in and take care of the widows and, and the orphans in the city. And even the emperor of Rome took notice of that. That's the rivers of living water flowing out of his church. And that in itself caused many people to seek that peace and that comfort um, that is only found in Christ. And it allowed the church to grow to the point where the whole Roman Empire was Christianized at one point. Just through acts of grace and mercy as the Holy Spirit flowed out of the church. And it's it's still the same way today, or at least it should be. I know that in today's world, we probably are trusting too much in the government to, to take care of the poor and the, and the widows. I think that was a bad thing for the church early on in the 20th century to allow the government to take over these programs because the government may, may be able to give them food, but the government can't give them hope and can't give them the gospel so they can supply their physical needs but not their spiritual needs. And I think much of the church today is allowing the government to do those things, and we have then no contact with people who desperately need to hear the gospel. So we should think about that, ways that we can continue to help those in need and let that Holy Spirit flow out of the church live rivers of living water to our community. Into the world. Um, now, the problem today is that people are not thirsting after Christ, are they? Or righteousness? That was the invitation. Whoever thirsts, let him come. If you if you're thirsting, come. The reason why the invitation is to those who thirst is because those who aren't thirsting for righteousness, they're not going to come. So anyone who hears the voice of Christ and is thirsting they'll come but the world is not thirsting after Christ they're not thirsting after righteousness they are thirsting after the pleasures that this world could bring they're thirsting after popularity or wanting to become famous they're thirsting after all the uh, the perceived pleasures that can be derived from from the world but in the end They are always left more thirsty. Some of them haven't figured that out yet. Maybe you have to be a little older to figure that one out. Things can never satisfy you. The pleasures of this world can never satisfy you. Only Christ can satisfy. Only Christ can give us the peace. Only Christ can give us everlasting life. What good is it to have the pleasures of the world for 80 years and then you die and go to hell under the judgment of God forever? What good is that? But Christ says, if you thirst, come to me. Oh, poor baby. (laughs) And the world is more thirsty because what the world offers is a mirage. It's fake. It's not real. And it can never satisfy it. And the, the tragedy is it won't ultimately satisfy in this life, and it certainly will not satisfy in eternity. And that's what Jesus is saying. If you really thirst, if you really want to be satisfied with real substance now and forever. Then come to me and drink. Come to me. And if you come to me, rivers, rivers, you'll not only be filled yourself, but rivers will flow out of your life to the world. And that's the promise that Christ is making here. And so the Lord is still calling, isn't he not? He's still calling today. He's still calling here in this room. He's calling out to the people of Chickasha, Oklahoma, to the whole world. He is still calling today. If anyone thirsts, can you imagine Jesus yelling this? (laughs) Yelling this at the top of his lungs. He is screaming this. He stands up. I mean, he's been kept to himself, but he stands up thousands of people and he screams this, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me. You know what he was doing? He, he was standing up saying to them in no uncertain terms, I am the Messiah. I'm the, one that, I'm, I'm the one you were singing about all week long. I'm the rock that the water comes out of. I'm the one that will save you. You you have been singing the, these psalms all week, asking the Lord to save you. Here I am. Here I am. Believe. Come to me, and you will be saved. And whoever believes, he says, as the Scripture says, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So again, coming to Jesus means believing in him. Have you trusted in Him this morning? Are you believing in the words of Christ? Or are you still believing in the lies of the world? The world is promising you, you follow us, we will satisfy you. We'll give you all the pleasures and satisfaction that you want. But they are lying to you. Only your Creator can satisfy you. Only your Creator can fill you up. Only your Creator can give you what you need that is peace and joy and pleasures forevermore in his presence and the presence of his people forever. I don't know how many came to Jesus on that day. Maybe it hardened more people. That guy is crazy, you know, can you imagine? That guy is a lunatic. He stands up and screams this. What do you mean come to you and you won't thirst? had not changed, has it? There are people out there that think that we're crazy. Did you hear Joe Rogan's rant last week or two weeks ago on Christianity? They think we're crazy. We think we're nuts. You shouldn't expect anything different. But today, if you hear his voice, come to me. Come to me. And I will fill you up so full that rivers will flow out of your life. Just if anyone thirsts, let him come and drink. So I hope you've done that this morning. And I also hope that if you're kind of stagnant, as we all can be sometimes, right? Sometimes I don't feel like I'm even full. And certainly rivers are not flowing out of me. And in those times, we are faced with trials and troubles or the dark night of the soul and all of that. But thanks be to God that those things are temporary. Oftentimes he uses it for our benefit. But if you are parched, if your soul feels dried up, Jesus is saying the same to you this morning. Come to me. How long has it been since you've been in prayer with him? How long has it been since you have been in his word soaking up the words of the Holy Spirit that come through the text and the pages of Scripture? You see, if we neglect his word and if we neglect prayer, we will dry up like a raisin. But Jesus, if that describes you, if you're dry like a desert this morning, Jesus saying, come to me. Come to me. And I will fill you up. I will satisfy your thirst. And you come to him with faith and prayer and thanksgiving and with his word on your lips. Then you will be full. Thankful to the Lord who has called each one of us to Him. And I'm thankful that we can now be the light and comfort to the world through the power of the Holy Spirit.